0: Now, just before we start, I have a special announcement. It's a new Kilkenomics X event. That means it's in Dublin, not in Kilkenny. It's on the 13th of October, and it features Michael Lewis, the author of The Big Short, Flash Boys, Moneyball. He's talking to me in St. Patrick's Cathedral about his new book, which is called Going Infinite. And it is the story of Sam Bankman-Fried. Sam Bankman-Fried, you will know, was the chief executive of FTX, the crypto exchange that went spectacularly bust around this time last year. Now, before this guy was 30, he had become the world's youngest billionaire, making a fortune on crypto. Now, chief executives, celebrities, world leaders, they were all vying for his time. At one point, he considered paying off the entire national debt of the Bahamas so that he could take his business there. And then it all fell apart. And Michael Lewis was there when it happened, having got to know SBF, as he was called, during his epic rise. Now, this new book, Going Infinite, I'm reading it right now, tells a story like no other, taking you through the mind-bending trajectory of a character who never liked the rules and was allowed to play by his own. So if you're interested in economics, finance, crypto, boom busts, legal trials, what happens when companies rise dramatically and then fall to the ground, this is the gig for you. And it's an amazing story. So, The gig is Michael Lewis talking to myself, David McWilliams, 13th of October, a Friday night, 8 p.m., St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. And the tickets are at kilconomics.com and they come with a book. Do not miss this event. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature.
1: This podcast is powered by Acast.
0: How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. I hope you survived that brutal storm last week, which was absolutely shocking, John. I came back to Dublin and we were hit by a biblical deluge, <laughs> which really annoyed me after my summer swanning around European capitals, I, I was telling you, it was like that old summer. But This was just the, the last hurrah. But I tell you, the last hurrah, we're going to talk about interest rates. Yes. We're going to talk about price of oil, which shot up last week, spooked financial markets. And what we're going to talk about, John, is I have a nagging feeling. oh Just a nagging, nagging feeling. It's
1: weighing you down, Mac. Well, it's
0: interesting. October is a bizarre month in financial markets. You had the October crash in 1987. You had Black Wednesday in 1992. Of course, you had the September 1929 around the autumny crash. My feeling is, I have a feeling that these increases in interest rates that we've been seeing, and we've largely discounted because we have come from a period of euphoria and a period of coming out of the pandemic when everyone's saying, okay, the pandemic is over now let's look ahead. And there was a sense of a sort of a brave new world. Mm. Now I think what could be coming through are economic reality of higher interest rates against a background of lots and lots of debt. And I think we could be going into a significant debt crunch period across the board.
1: Okay, because I I thought the interest rates were were working. I thought it was, you know, inflation was coming down in in America. I thought it was levelling off in Europe and the central bankers were popping the corks and saying, "Did not yeah. we do a good job?" Well, boys? well, in the
0: United States, so so last week, in the last couple of days, the price of oil has shot up mm. to hundred dollars a barrel. Right. right. Because they're all worried about whether or not we'll be able to replace this Russian stuff. Okay, so it's still we're still back into the Russian idea. Okay, yeah. we'll be able to replace the Russian stuff. Right, that's the first thing. Right, second thing is that that, of course, has spooked markets. They think, okay, if the price of oil goes up or if the price of energy doesn't fall, maybe the rate of interest will stay up for longer, right? Right. And then that focuses on a huge amount of financing that was put together before the pandemic and during the pandemic, based on the economy's growing very, very strongly after the pandemic. Mm. And my sense, it's only just a sense, it's like a niggling worry at the back of my head that certain projects are many projects that are highly leveraged and highly dependent on being able to refinance those projects quickly and refinance at lower interest rates are going to get hit with higher interest rates, higher refinancing. There's a thing called mezzanine financing. There's various different ways of financing. <laughs> mezzanine financing. Yeah, which is basically a mezzanine. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a floor. It's like a mezzanine That's floor. part it's of this lexicon we were talking yeah, about the exactly, other week. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This bullshit lexicon, right? <laughs> yeah. But my, my sense is, John, if you look at the, outstanding debt numbers that have been built up very, very recently. And again, it's not coming really from bank debt. It's coming from this kind of non-bank debt, from private equity, from all these parts of the financial economy. What we're seeing, it seems to me, is we need blue skies from here. Clear blue skies, which is why I started with weather, John. <laughs> clear blue skies for everything to work perfectly. And my sense is we may well be going to a period where the economy becomes a little bit more problematic and the debts incurred become a little bit more difficult to refinance. And then what you will see then you will see is a whole cycle where asset prices fall, where asset prices default, and then, of course, you get the cycle starts again. But it's just, it's a, it's a niggling fear. I didn't want to upset you this morning. Well, I, I, my my mood was, was I came
1: bounding in here and now he's I'm I'm not so sure. I've got an uneasy feeling. He's been
0: away for the weekend. He's been <laughs> out with his mates down the west of Ireland and now he's freaking out. It's like, oh, man.
1: Okay, look, I have a bunch of questions Go. based on what you said. Before we do that, though, I just want to give a quick shout out to all our new Philadelphia listeners in Philly, in Philly, courtesy of Dozy Cod. I think who's Is Dozy the, Cod? I read a review on the Apple website.
0: Don't ever be reading those things because uh, you'll actually believe them. Now. No, I know,
1: I know. But but all Dozy Cod said was, "I've loved the podcast, and I'm spreading the word around Philadelphia." So. Thanks, Amelia. Dozy Card.
0: Dozy Card. We're now playing the Rocky theme tune. John is now uh, going up and down the courthouse in Philadelphia. He's looking increasingly. He's looking increasingly like uh, what's his name again? What was his name? Stallone. Yeah. John's facelift. John's facelift is looking increasingly like Stallone. And away we go. Away we go. So,
1: what's on your mind? Okay, let's let's talk about this debt because only a couple of weeks ago, there was reading the newspaper. But this figure jumped out at me, and it was the total global debt. Okay. And it was $307 trillion. Trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. I can't get my head around that figure. I know. And JM crunched that number for me, and he said that a trillion seconds is 32,000 years. That gives you a sense. That gives you a sense of how big that is. So, yeah, just, so just to kind of get my head around that, what does that actually mean in,
0: in the real world? Okay. How is that sustainable? Okay, so let's go back to say, how does the globe come up with or end up with this yeah. enormous figure? You have to go back to what is called fiat money. Yeah. So in 1972, when the Americans came off the gold standard, Richard Nixon came off the gold standard. Once the Americans came off the gold standard, everybody else who was following the Americans on the gold standards came off as well. Mm. So we get to a situation where it's fiat money. Now, if you look, for example, is look at the banking system. When you take a loan, right, on a bank's balance sheet, there's an asset and there's a liability. So if you go and you say, John Davis here, I would like to buy a house. And the bank manager says, Okay, John Davis, I'll give you 300 grand for the house, right? What the the bank then has is on the one side of its balance sheet, which is the asset, it has the loan it's given out to you. Mm -hmm. So you pay them interest. So they're getting money. So that's income. On the other side of the balance sheet, right, it has the liability, which is the house that you own, right? Yeah, And again, has a charge over that. So when you look at debt, what tends typically to happen is we get freaked out by the debt figure and we forget that for every debt there is a corresponding asset. Mm. So what you will look at the global economy, particularly wealth in the global economy, it has increased as much as, but considerably more than, that 300 trillion figure over the last 50 years. And what you will see then is people then say, well, hold on a second, what about debt to GDP, debt to income? And again, I'll give you the same example. So let's say you borrow 300 grand to buy a house. The house is 300 grand. The income from that house, let's say, is four grand a month. So the if inc- you're renting it out. If you're renting it out. Yeah. So the income for that house is 36, or let's say, let's say rounded up to 40 grand a year, right? Mm. So therefore what you have is you have this huge debt figure. And if you compare it to your income figure, it looks that the debt is huge and unsustainable. But if you compare it to your asset figure, your wealth figure, what you will find is that typically your asset prices have increased more than the debt. But there is a bias always in commentary. To look at the debt figure and then suppose that all that debt was pissed up against the wall and you went on the lash with it. Mm. Because that's the, that, it feels that way, right? But what you see is for every debt, there is a corresponding asset. Yeah, but there but should be a but, corresponding but, but asset.
1: I just want to jump in there because you're talking about uh, a rent to buy there.
0: No, I'm, no, I'm talking about just how, how to look at those debt figures. So there is a... But if it's your home. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just, that's wealth. Yeah. So basically the debt is taken out to buy an asset which is accrued in value, and therefore the debt will be less than the asset value, yeah. right? And that's what we've done over the last 40 or 50 years as asset prices have increased dramatically. Yes, debts have increased, but assets are considerably greater than debts until you get a crash.
1: Right, okay, yeah, until and you get a crash. that's what happened
0: in Ireland in 2008. So,
1: so actually, in that sense, in that way of looking at it, there is... Something good about inflation then, because that's inflating the value of your your asset.
0: Absolutely. So inflation, if you are in a situation where you have lots and lots of debt, the best thing you can possibly have is lots and lots of inflation, Mm -hmm. because the inflation inflates away the debt. That's if you are the borrower. Yes. But if you are the lender, see, there's always two geezers in this transaction. If you are the lender, the last thing you want is lots and lots of inflation, because that completely erodes the income you're getting for the debt. So for example, if you were giving me, let's say our parents bought houses in the 1950s Mm. and 1960s. In the 1970s, there was a massive surge of inflation. And what that actually meant was the mortgages they took out in the 1950s of like two grand or three grand or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. I think my mum and dad's house cost £1,100, <laughs> right? That, exactly. That was entirely inflated away in the 1970s. So by the time my parents got to the 1980s, they had no mortgage, yeah, so to speak of, right? Yeah. But the rate of interest in that mortgage was very high. So even if there was only a little bit left, the rate of interest was very high, but the principle had been eroded by inflation. Yeah. So inflation is always a battle right, about allocating resources. Is it borrowers? Is it lenders? Right. But what intrigues me now is that because the central bankers are trying to bring the rate of inflation down, they are squeezing what's called the real rate of interest, which is the rate of interest minus the rate of inflation. Okay. Okay? And that's where the pain is. And it strikes me that we may well, because of this enormous buildup of debt in the last while and effervescence and financial markets and financial engineering and all that stuff we've seen, there may well now be a sort of a crunch period, which is coming, where assets that were bought in the last couple of years, not 20 or 30 years ago, Mm. but in the last couple of years, now look incredibly overvalued despite the falls in stock markets. And if perceptions change about where interest rates are going and how long they stay high. What we could get is a huge amount of what they call discomfort. It's right? <laughs> a very polite way of putting it. Discomfort, which means you're kind of fucked, yeah. right? And again, if you look at it, we go back to our... So, f- are you, yeah. Sorry,
1: just are we talking about another
0: crash a la 2008 Well, what we're looking at, take, for example, commercial property in Dublin, right? Mm. You might have heard that Meta, which is Facebook, right? Otherwise, it's like Prince, the artist formerly known as Facebook, right? (laughs) Paid £147 million sterling last week to break a lease in London, right? So can you imagine you're paying that much money not to take up the building? right, that you'd committed to. And what they're doing is they're trying to cut costs all over the place, all those. So they'd already handed over that dash? They have Or had, they committed to. They committed to take up the place. And,
1: and they have to hand that dash over.
0: In order to get to out of, to, to, get to break the covenant, right, to break the covenant. Then the implication is for the lad's all. to be rubbing their hands whoever owns the building. Well, yeah. And I've the lawyers well, and the no. back. No, because you see, whoever owns the building now has got to rent it out to some other massive client like Meta. Where are you going to get a client like that? There's very few of those companies. Yeah, yeah, that's companies. fair enough. Yeah. So basically what is happening is those Turn it big... flats. Those flats. Well, that's another thing. So what, what you find is a company like Meta has decided that its era of massive expansion is over. And what you'll see is its share price has risen because it's cutting costs. This is the bizarre thing, Yeah. right? So as it cuts costs as it lays off people, as it retrenches, as it says, okay, you can work from home and all those sort of things, its share price has recovered. But I think that all those tech guys were unbelievably shocked by the last 18 months because they lived in a world where share prices was just rising, rising, rising. Then the whole thing collapsed. Then they have to retrench. And now what they're doing is they're trying to create lean tech companies as opposed to bloated tech companies. Now the implication for that is you have... Where's their biggest cost? Rent and salaries. Yeah. So headcounts go and then rents go. And what you're seeing is a lot of the buildings that they were built in the expectation that they would take them are now looking vacant. Now then you think, okay, well, how are those buildings financed? Those buildings were all financed also from leverage. So therefore you have the people who built those buildings finance those buildings, have to pay back their investors. Mm. But they're earning no income because the buildings are vacant. Now, what that does is it sends shockwaves throughout markets. Now, initially what happens is all the vested interests in Ireland and in Britain and America will try and keep up the average rent, right? So nobody will admit that average rents are falling. Why? Because their average rent is priced in to where the asset price should be. But if they acknowledge what is happening, then what you'll find is that cycle. Remember the cycle, the Minsky cycle, will begin to turn. Yeah, explain that. Well, so investing is usually shrouded with spreadsheets, right? So you have two types of investors. Love a good spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. So you have two types of investors you have momentum investors. And you have value investors, right? Mm. Now, value investors are the people who like the spreadsheets. So they're the ones plugging in all the data and they're saying, does this make sense, right? Mm. That's a tiny minority of investors. The vast majority of investors are what's called momentum investors, which means we buy because other people buy. Because we get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in the effervescence, right? We get caught up in the good times. I've always said that in order to look at investment, you have to understand gossip. Gossip yes. and rumour is much more important in markets than fundamentals yeah. when things start to go up. So if you begin, you start all these cycles with optimism, right? People are optimistic. Like, think about it. The recession is over. The pandemic is over. We're starting yeah. again. Yeah, 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 We're optimistic. We're out, okay? in, in we're out. the big yeah. new world. And, and you put down money and then, you know, the price of that asset, you know, whether it's a house or a stock or a bond or whatever it happens to be, You know, it could be anything, a brand. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. People always, when people go into financial endeavours, right, when you decide I'm going to do something new, you start a new project with great optimism. So if you ever take the reading of a group of people in a startup company, what really is the overwhelming characteristic is we are optimistic about the future. We are in the shed making this new product and we think this is going to change the world Mm. and we've all bought into it and away we go, right? And then the optimism leads to excitement. So you'll, you'll notice I never use technical terms to explain economic cycles, right? Because what I'm using is human terms that humans yeah. understand. Yeah, 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 So optimism leads to excitement. There's a sort of a thrill, there's an effervescent, the asset prices is going up. Everybody's thinking, wow, and then you're talking to your mates, it's going up, we're doing really well, we've got this contract. So what you find is this sort of optimism leads to excitement, leads to the thrill, leads to a sort of euphoria that we are doing the right thing. Yeah. And then people want a piece of the action. People say, oh, I can sell you 10% of that. And everyone says, oh, I'd like to get into this. And of course, banks then get involved because this is the stage where banks give what they call gearing, where Mm -hmm. the company goes to a financial house or an investor or a bunch of, let's say, uh, venture capitalists. Rich people. Yeah, rich people. And they all get excited together. Yeah. Now, this is the moment of maximum financial peril. Yeah. Just when you think everything's going well, this is the moment where I would say this is the point of maximum financial risk when you're in the euphoria stage. And then, of course, maybe something goes wrong and maybe the asset price falls a little bit. So we're talking about the commercial property here. Yeah. It could be houses, it could be anything, right? And then you get this sort of anxiety. You reach this peak and you think, oh, my net worth is X percent, right? Unless it's a million quid. yeah, And you feel great. And you go to town, and you're buying booze for everybody, yeah. right? And you're 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 cock of the hoop, and you're you're buying tickets for the for the Ireland Scotland match, and you're going to fly over, and you yeah. don't give a shite how much it costs, right? Yeah. Okay, and then let's say the acid begins to fall ever so slightly, so something kind of goes wrong, and you kind of become anxious, but because you've actually kind of whipped yourself into a bit of excitement, the anxiety kind of says, ah, don't worry, it's only be temporary, right? Yeah. The long run vision is still the same. Yeah. The There's end point. It's a bit. Of and that's the next phase is denial. Right. So you go from you go from euphoria, which is the period of maximum financial risk, to anxiety or little oh, shit. Then you're in denial. So you say, ah, don't worry about yeah. it. I know the price is falling, but it's okay. I've got enough money to pay that guy back. Yeah. And, and it's still a good idea. It's still a great idea. Yeah. It's still a great idea. This is the sort of, this is a lot of our crypto mates, right? Yeah. Crypto is just a great example. And the reason we're talking about that today is tomorrow is the trial of your man. Sam Bankman freed the FTX. Yeah. So can you imagine what was happening in in that particular bubble? So there's denial. They're like, oh, this can't be happening, right? And then denial leads to fear. You start to say, oh, shit, right? This is actually real. Prices begin to fall. And of course, fear is infectious. Yeah. Fear is contagious. Fear is like a virus. So everybody who was involved in that begins to start to shit their pants. Yeah to use the expression, right? And then they start talking to each other and people's phones are ringing and say, listen, you owe me that money, you count it back, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, then you kind of go into a sort of depression. Fear leads to a sort of depression. And then it leads to panic because you actually think, okay, I've lost everything. And then it leads to an episode in financial markets, which is called capitulation, where you actually capitulate, right? Mm. So you've gone from euphoria to anxiety Anxiety to denial, denial to fear, fear to depression, and then depression to capitulation, right? And capitulation and despondency where everything is wrong, this is the moment of maximum financial opportunity, right? Yeah. Because the asset has fallen in value. People have been defaulted on. There's a sense that we'll never recover. All that money is gone. It's all wasted. But still, the commercial property is there. You know, still the asset is there. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the moment of greatest financial opportunity is when everybody is despondent. The moment of greatest financial risk is when everybody is euphoric, which is why that great expression is the worst investment decisions are often taken in the best of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you feel that everything's going. And then once you get to despondency, you get to kind of desperation, and bizarrely, another character comes in relief. Your relief that it's all over, even if you lose money. People actually, at the end, when it's all over, they've kind of the closure. It's, just, it's like, oh yeah. fuck, that's over. And of course, relief gives to hope, and hope gives way oh, to and optimism. we off again. <laughs> and <we're> off again. <laughs> hey. Exactly, exactly. And I think we're probably going to go into this type of cycle you know and the reason we use words like hope and optimism depression rather than EBITDA and rather than earnings per share and rather than a number is what we're talking about is human nature Mm. and the great thing about all these financial and monetary episodes is they are expressions of human nature and they're crowd phenomena Okay. So, so far we've been
1: talking about the, the size of the global debt and how we got here. Yeah. But what is the ECB and the Fed doing in order to create this so-called soft landing that that everybody talks about? Well... But let's talk about that after this. Okay. So you know this, a part of the lexicon.
0: The lexicon. Oh, yes, John. (laughs) I've grabbed
1: onto that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a a great word for for (laughs) bullshit. For
1: bullshit. But part of this lexicon is this so-called soft landing nonsense. Yeah. And, you know, you hear it from the Fed and the the Jay Powells and the ECB and the Lagards and all that kind of stuff. But in this nervy feeling that you have, yeah, and the possible impending crisis—is it possible to have a soft landing? And what are the the, the central banks? And the, no, and it's the a Fed really fair question.
0: It? It's a fair question, and like I mean, it's all it's all in the balance. Mm. It's all in the balance. I mean, this is not this is not a podcast saying everything's going to hell. This is a podcast saying, look, let's look at what's been going on the last two and a half three years. Yeah, actually, you can argue since since 2011, 2012. eleven, two thousand and twelve. It's been going on for a long time now. What the Fed is trying to do, if they're really honest with you, they're trying to filter out, there's three types of borrowers, John, in a credit boom. Right. right. There are hedge borrowers, there are speculative borrowers, and there are Ponzi borrowers, right? Right. So a hedge borrower, right, is somebody who can finance both the interest and capital payments, let's say, of a house, John, Right. out of their income. Kind of, kind of the normal borrower. The normal geezer, yeah. right? So the normal geezer is faced with, They've got to pay capital payments, they've got to pay interest on the capital, and they've got to make sure that they have enough income to pay both those. So that's the hedge borrower, right? In a boom, they start, remember we talked about the euphoria, right? They're the optimistic people, right? But by the time we get to the thrill and the excitement, there is another borrower in there, right? And he is called the speculative borrower. And the speculative borrower is the person who can only cover the interest payments on their borrowing, but they need to roll over the principal to pay the original loan. He's the bandwagon jumper. Exactly, right? And that is many, many companies. So if you get involved in something, right, what you're actually paying is you're paying the interest. You're assuming you can roll over the principal. You're hoping to God the price of the asset just keeps going up and up and up. And as long as you can roll over the principal, then you're fine. But as interest rates rise, you can't roll over the principal because when you come to roll over the principal, the borrower says, well, we had our first contract at 1% interest rate. We're now at 5% interest rate. Right. So your penalty for rolling over, you're going to have to give me X amount of money. Mm. Right. So he's a speculative borrower. Then there's the last lot who comes in at the euphoric stage yeah. and he's the Ponzi borrower. And he is the most volatile because he can pay neither the interest nor the capital. He's just buzzing. He's buzzing. He's absolutely, he's dropped, he's yoked, <laughs> he's coming right up, okay? Yeah yeah, 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 And the thing about him is he can only make the whole, all the numbers make sense as long as the price of the house keeps going up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he has got no money, right? right? But that gobshite is in at the top of the market. He's the character you meet at the moment of most, remember I told you, at yeah. the euphoric stage of the most financial risk at that moment. Yeah. And he's the guy at the rugby match this weekend, the West Lower, buying pints for everyone, yeah. Yeah. right? given the whole thing, right? But in fairness, just to stop you
1: there, in fairness, there are people that get caught up in all this as well. And while they may be categorised as the Ponzi guy, they may be doing it in good faith. Going, oh, the,
0: oh, oh, everyone's doing it in good faith. I mean, the whole thing is, this is not a moral judgment about yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually more of a assessment of the madness of human nature as Newton, Isaac Newton, who lost his shirt. And his apple. Annie's apple, exactly. Annie's apple. Now think about Isaac Newton. How bright was Isaac Newton? I'd say fairly bright. Very bright, right? He lost his shirt on the South Sea Bubble. Yes, and he said that I can figure out the movements of the heavens, but I cannot figure out the madness of crowds. That was his quote. Mm -hmm. So he said, like give me." Yeah, he says, "I can do the gravity thing. I can do the movement thing.
1: Yeah,
0: but where I am actually." As dumb as the next fella is on the madness of crowds. He lost his fortune on the South Sea bubble. Charles Darwin lost his fortune yeah. on the railway stocks. Yeah. So you it does this is not a reflection. Jonathan Swift was another fella as well. No, well, Swift was actually Swift came up with the term bubble. Ah, okay. Which is, I mean, is it, he Swift stood on the sidelines and wrote about everything? Right. And he created this very interesting poem by Swift. About bubbles, and it is thought that Swift was the first person to write down the term "bubble" in 1720 in St. Patrick's Cathedral, where I will be next week, John. Oh, I just love talking what you did to there. Michael Lewis. We will talk about Swift and bubbles and all this, but let's come back to it, right? That's very good, Mac. I like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where we will be yes. talking to Michael Lewis exactly about this, because the Michael Lewis discussion will be about the madness. Of crowds, what happened in the crypto market when they reached this extraordinary period of maximum financial risk, where all those FTX guys moved to Bermuda, yes. right? Yeah. Where Tony Blair, Bill Clinton, do you remember? They were all yeah, at this yeah, thing, yeah. where the guy, the guy who throws the quarterback, Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jay-Z I think was Jay-Z Larry David everyone says oh Larry David Larry David was pumping and dumping like the rest of them right <laughs> it's like, like Larry David <laughs> yeah. was really good to you curb your enthusiasm oh fuck off he was a pump <laughs> and dump merchant like the rest of them the other lad Matt Damon my mate was pumping yeah. and dumping they were all at it yeah, yeah, and that's the moment of peak financial madness when everybody is on side and where does he end up, poor old FTX, SBK? He's going to be in the clink. He's going to be in the clink. Yeah. And who foretold no it all? Ain't soft landed for him. They no soft landed for him. Who foretold it all? Jonathan Swift, St. <laughs> Patrick's Cathedral. We'll talk to you in a couple of days' time.
1: But never shall our isle have rest Till those devouring swine run down The devils leaving the possessed And headlong in the waters drown The nation, then too late, will find computing all their costs and trouble. Directors promise us, but wind. South Sea, at best, a mighty bubble.